Good morning. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Praise the Lord for His Sabbath. And you know, I was just thinking this morning, the Sabbath is more than just a day that we can rest. It's more than that. It is a day that God sanctified, that He made holy, that He blessed. What a wonderful gift. What a wonderful reminder that He's given us every week. We have that weekly reminder that God is a holy God. He set a day apart to focus on Him, to dwell upon Him and His goodness. So God bless you today and may, God, may you enjoy God's Sabbath today. I titled the message this week, Pulling Down Strongholds. So you know we're going to be talking about the spiritual battle. Pulling Down Strongholds. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians Chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading. I'm going to pause for a moment. It's kind of like Paul saying, okay, it's, it's me, it's myself. It's not someone else writing this, but it's me. It is, this is my concern. I am pleading with you. Paul's saying, I, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in Christ that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself that just as He is Christ, even so we are Christ. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. For His letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but His bodily presence is weak and His speech contemptible. There are the accusations that they were putting against Paul. Let such a person consider this that we are in word by letters when that we are in word by letters when we are absent such we also will also be indeed when we are present for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves but they measuring themselves by themselves are comparing themselves among themselves are not wise May God add His blessings to the hearing and the reading of His holy word. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do praise You and magnify You. We thank You, Father, for the written word that You have given us to guide us and direct us. And Father, I pray that Your anointing will be upon the spoken word also today. Father, I just pray that Your anointing will be upon Your servant. I pray that You would open our ears to receive what You have for us today, Father, that we would edify and build up Your church, Father, to encourage Your people. And Lord, I just pray that every word spoken will be your truth, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
start at the end there, I just was going over this uh, the last couple of days, and it says, we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves. They was comparing themselves to themselves. Saying, well, I look pretty good, right? I'm doing pretty good. There's only one that we as believers should compare ourselves with. And that's Jesus Christ. Compare yourselves to Him. Don't compare yourself to your neighbors, even to yourself, but compare yourself to Him. How do we line up there? We all probably have some room we can improve, right? So the Apostle Paul in this passage is addressing the faithful and obedient Christians at Corinth. His main objective is defending his authority in the ministry, which the Lord had given him. Because his authority had come under question by false teachers. They were questioning Paul's authority. And they were also corrupting the gospel that Paul had preached to them previously. Concerning these false teachers, there's a passage that reveals that not all who proclaim to be Christians, not all who proclaim to be apostles, not all who proclaim to be teachers, are truly faithful to Him. In Matthew 7, 21 and 23, we will read, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Paul teaches us that the work of ministry is a warfare between good and evil, between the flesh and the spirit. It is a spiritual warfare against the spiritual enemies for spiritual purposes. And there are times that the war comes from within the church. That's what Paul was addressing here, from within. From those who are workers of iniquity, disguised, disguised as faithful followers. That's what Paul is dealing with. He was dealing with it in his day, and it's still a problem today in some churches, or in the church. 2 Corinthians 11, 13-15 says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. You know, when I was a young child, when we had toys, we had a toy car or a toy truck, that's all they were. They was a, it was either a truck, that's all it was ever going to be, it was a truck. But the toys that the kids play with today, they might have something that looks like a truck, but they'll take that thing and they'll make a few twists and turns and it's a robot or it's a, you know, it's a person. So they, they know what transforming something means, right? It was a truck, now it's a robot. Transform. Transformed into ministers of light. So they aren't really what they appear to be. And some are actually ignorant of the fact that there's even a spiritual warfare going on. Some people don't realize it or they just 
don't want to realize it. You know, just, let's just reject that thought. I want to use a football illustration. I'm probably going to use a couple football illustrations here to help us visualize this. We all know that during a football game that there is a physical battle going on out there on that field, correct? I mean, it is a brutal physical battle. You'll have guys that will run down that field as fast as they can possibly run and slam their body into their opponent. And you know, they, bam, they smash to the ground, they jump back up, it's like, hey, I'm good. 20 years from now, they're going to feel the effects of that. They might have jumped right back up that day, but 20 years from now, 30 years from now, they're going to feel the effects. So it is a brutal battle going on out there on that field. So I can't say that it was last year because, you know, they weren't allowed to fill the stands last year, but we went to a high school football game. It would have been, I guess, 2019 uh, when we could go, right? So we go to support our granddaughter who's in the band. And we're out there, we're sitting in the stands and that brutal battle's going on out there in the field. But there are certain women sitting in our area that they're talking about shopping, they're talking about getting their hair done, they're talking about their shoes, they're talking about what's going on with their grandkids, anything and everything, but they're paying no attention to that battle. That's, they're not involved in that battle going on out there on that football field. It's kind of like they're clueless to the battle. But you might say, well, how could they be involved in that battle? So I'll use another football illustration to show you how. But we're going to use an NFL team this time, not a high school football team. Back when they were allowed to fill the stands full with fans, there is a football team that the fans are called the 12th man. Now to make sure you understand what, that, what I'm talking about here, each team's only allowed 11 people on the field, 11 players. So they call these fans the 12th man. And it's the Seattle Seahawks. Their fans are so extremely loud that it disrupts the play on the field for the opponents. They are so loud that oftentimes they can't hear the play calls. They'll be jumping off sides and it's very disruptive. So they are actually involved in that battle on the field. The fans are. They know that there's a war going on out there, out there in that field. And they're actually part of it. They were involved. The spiritual enemy that lurks around within today is real. It's real. One thing we must understand that their message, the spiritual enemy, Paul speaking of false teachers within, their message is very closely aligned with what's in this Word. But yet, it is not completely true. They'll twist it just a little bit. Last Sabbath I spoke how the message of righteousness by faith was a major stumbling block for the Jews. The enemy that Paul was dealing with here was Jewish believers who were teaching that faith in Christ is not enough. That's what they were teaching. Faith in Christ is not enough. They were wanting to bring the church back into the bondage of the written law instead of the law that is written upon the hearts. 
That's what they were trying to teach. And that's what Paul's dealing with here. Paul was constantly opposing false teachings. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law. Let's repeat that. But no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. My friends, the war between good and evil has been going on since the beginning of time. Last Sabbath I also shared the scripture where Satan attempted to exalt himself to the level of God. He wanted to put his throne up to the same level of God. He wanted to be God. Well, friends, this attempt resulted in a war. Revelation 12, 7 through 9, says a war. Now, friends, this is an actual war. A war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world. That's one of his major battle plans is to deceive. Who deceives the whole world was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. He was cast to the earth, friends, no longer permitted to dwell in heaven. He was kicked out, given his eviction notice. And he is very angry about that. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He wants to devour you. He wants to devour the church. He wants to devour the human race. But Paul said, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God. I think that's the key that we need to understand. Our weapons are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You might think, why would God have cast the devil down here that we've got to deal with him? He didn't leave us defenseless. I just said it. Our weapons are mighty in God. We have the authority over Satan. And we have it because Jesus Christ gave it to us when He rose up from that grave, defeated death. There are so many different types of battles to be fought when it comes to spiritual battles. But let's start with one place that it often begins, and that's right here. Right here in our minds, doesn't it? That's where it often begins. Paul said to bring every thought captive. Paul's focus in 2 Corinthians was pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself 
against the knowledge of God. So if there's something coming against the knowledge of God, that is a stronghold. A stronghold is an area of darkness within our minds or personality that causes ongoing spiritual, emotional, or behavioral problems. We can be born again. We can be saved. We can have very sincere faith, but yet still struggle with our thoughts, can't we? Come on. Be honest. We can struggle with our thoughts. I'm like, where did that thought come from? Get away. Right? We can struggle with our emotions. We can struggle with habits that wage war against our relationship with Christ. It's hard to kick them old habits sometimes. You know, we pray, we study, we attempt to discipline ourselves. But we oftentimes continue to struggle. Because there may be a stronghold hidden away. Southeast of Tucson, Arizona, in the Dragoon Mountains, is an Arizona State Park and campground called Cochise, and we actually <laughs> looked up how you pronounce that, Cochise Stronghold is what it's called. Cochise was a Native American military leader of the Chiricahua Apaches in the late 1800s. He was a brilliant strategist who used three different strongholds to fight for and protect his people from their enemies. He had one, of the, one in the Dragoon Mountains, which is a modern-day campground, and the one in the Chiricahua Mountains, and one in Palino Mountains, where Mount Graham is located in southeast Arizona. The cavalry was never able to discover Cochise's hiding place on Mount Graham or in the Chicachua Mountains. From these three camps, Cochise led guerrilla-style warfare against the Mexican government, against the United States Cavalry, against ranchers, and against other Native American people groups. The raids that he brilliantly orchestrated left southern Arizona in fearful chaos. Even today, after so many historic conflicts, the Apache War remains the longest period of war in American history. During war, his strongholds provided a safe location, unknown to his enemies. They provided places where he could retreat to and live to fight another day. One of Kochi's strengths was his ability to escape and hide from his enemies so that he could attack them on his terms. Similar to Kochi's strongholds, our spiritual enemy, the devil, desires to keep his existence a secret so that he can attack on his grounds. A person could have a spiritual stronghold and not realize it because they do not realize the source they do not realize the source of their struggles. And if you don't realize that Satan is the source of your struggles, he'll continue. Continue to remain hidden and continue to attack. Have you ever been frustrated in your spiritual life, in your Christian walk, feeling like you're kind of in a rut or you're flat, you're not growing? Feel like you have to keep learning the same lessons over and over and over again? Well, if you're nodding your head yes or thinking yes, it may be that you have a spiritual stronghold that needs to be dealt with. 
spiritual strongholds that he described were casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. All believers, whether we acknowledge it or not, are engaged in spiritual warfare against the forces of darkness. As Christians, we live in this world, but our fight is not like the battles of this war, not like the carnal battles are fought. The worldly weapons, whether you have an AK-47 or you could have a tank, you could have a battleship, you could have a nuclear warhead, but they are absolutely useless in a spiritual warfare. They'll do you no good. No good at all. The purpose of a spiritual weapon, according to 2 Corinthians 10.4, is to demolish strongholds, spiritual strongholds, to expose where the enemy is trying to hide. A major stronghold that can be established against you, that's kind of very innocent, when you are deceived about who God really is. Friends, if you are deceived about who God really is, that can be a stronghold in your life. What you think about God. Do you believe that God is for you or against you? You don't have to answer that. Don't say it out loud, you know. Do you believe that God is for you or against you? That's an important question. Because the wrong idea about God, the wrong knowledge about God can create an argument, an argumentative attitude in us and cause us to have arguments with God's plan, His will, or have lofty ideas. A spiritual argument seeks to, ref seeks to refute the knowledge of God. Have you ever thought, again, you don't have to answer this out loud anyway, have you ever thought, well, you know, God could never love me. God could never love me. I mean, I know some people that have thought that. I've just done so many bad things. I have sinned so much. God could never love me. I know that's a very simple example. But it's a powerful argument. You know, at first glance, that sounds kind of humble, doesn't it? God couldn't love me. Sounds kind of humble. But it's deadly reasoning. Because it goes against a very powerful truth about God. Listen, God does not love you because you are lovable. Let that sink in a minute. God does not love you because you are lovable. You know, as Karen mentioned, we're reading, and reading through the Old Testament, and I chuckled one day when I asked her, I said, have you noticed how many times God has referred to the nation of Israel as a stiff-necked people? I mean, I should have started making a count as I was going through there. Many, 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 many times God refers to the Israelites as a stiff-necked people. They were always grumbling and complaining. Lord, you've brought us out here to kill us in the desert. We had our pots of stew back in Egypt. We have no water to drink. Where is that Moses? He's been gone for so long. They was always grumbling and complaining about something. He called them a stiff-necked people. Believe me, He did not love them because they were lovable. And I hate to break your bubble, but God does not... You might be a very lovable and kind person, but God does not love you because you are lovable. 
God loves you because it is God's nature to love. God loves you because it is God's nature to love. So I want a little congregational participation here. I want you to repeat. God loves me because it is God's nature to love. Alright, you ready? God loves me because it is His nature to love. No one can ever earn God's affection. God is love. And if we claim that God couldn't love me, then we are questioning, we are doubting the very nature of God. So friends, you might think, well, I thought we were talking about spiritual warfare. We are! We're talking about questioning God, who He is, what He is. You know, remember, as a young, young child, we all sang it. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me. It's a foundational truth that we know from the Bible. But whenever we question that, we are surrendering territory to Satan. When we question that. Satan has no hiding place when you accept the truth about God and who He is. It is your knowledge of God's heart that will protect you from these satanic strongholds. Capturing how you think about God is your main responsibility as a believer in Jesus Christ. The Christian mystic, St. John of the Cross, once penned these words about the wonder of God's love. When you regarded me, your eyes imprinted grace in me. In this you loved me again. And this my eyes merited to also love what you see in me. To love what you see in me. Let's love what God sees in us, right? Let us go forth together to see ourselves in your beauty. Wonderful words. Why did Paul ask God to show the church of Ephesus how massive His love is? Because knowing the size of God's love for you is transformational. It will transform you. Ephesians 3, 16-19, this is the New Living Translation, says, I pray that from His glorious, unlimited resource, He will empower you with the inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Your roots will grow deep, will grow down, I added the deep, will grow down into God's love. How important is that? That our roots grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is His love. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. How great is that love that we cannot fully understand? Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. May God give us, grant us the power to understand His love. You can experience spiritual peace and growth in your life when you meditate 
on the incredible love of God. Remember, any argument that rises to destroy your assurance of God's love has the potential to allow the enemy to come into your mind, come into your life. You can destroy these lies by embracing the truth that we just learned today. Amen? God is in love with you. You receive that today? God is in love with you. Paul also addressed lofty opinions and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It's the opposite of false humility, isn't it? It's the opposite of that that says God can't love me. It's a thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It's when we wrestle with or we question the choices that God makes. When we question why He does things the way He does. Why He allows certain things to happen. We might think, well, if I was God, I would have done it this way. My friends, that is a lofty idea. Don't even go there. Where in the Bible does it say that God has to check with you and make sure His decisions are okay before He allows something to happen or does something? It's not in there. We are not God. We are not God, but He is. We must trust in His goodness. We must surrender every circumstance into His hands, into His authority, because His plans are perfect. And He's working to bring about His eternal plans. Humble dependence on God is the weapon that will, will demolish lofty opinions. Dependence upon Him. Don't try to make ourselves God. Our spiritual enemy attempts to build secret hiding places in our thought life by raising these arguments or pretense against the knowledge of God. Our greatest weapon, Paul says, is to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. My friends, what a challenge that is. Think about the number of thoughts that goes or comes into our minds each and every day. Bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That can be our prayer every morning. Lord, guide every thought. Every thought that comes into this mind. Let it be of you. Let it be holy. Let it be good. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3-7. through seven. I want to close with this. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you be mindful of your tears, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Louis, and your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded is also in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has given us the ability to have a sound mind through Him, through His Spirit, every day. If, that, if our minds, if we are controlled by the Holy Spirit, by Him, 
That is surrendering every thought, bringing it captive into Him. That's what we are encouraged to do. And that's what I encourage you to do. Bring every thought captive to Him. And there are so many different ways we can go and talk about spiritual warfare and all the battles. I mean, the enemy comes against, against us, against the church, in so many different ways. But let's begin right here with these minds. Let's remind Him that He has no power and no authority over us because we are children of God. He is our protector. He is our provider. He is our sustainer. He is the one that we need to surrender to and just trust in Him that He's got the rest of this, but yet be involved in that battle as God calls us to be, guided by His Spirit, surrendering every thought. Amen?